And now we open up in, in our word today and continue in the joy of Christmas, which is the series that we're currently walking through. As we open up to Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 50, uh, I want to invite you to turn with me there now. And I want us to, to, to do that. I want us to, to lean into the Christmas story a little bit more and prayerfully see God open some light bulbs and, and, and ideas and revelation to us through Mary's journey and Mary's story. So we're going to look at these four verses, and I, I pray that we don't leave here the same. Amen? Amen. That, that's my, my hope, because I'm not here to waste time. I hope you're not here to waste time. I hope you're not here just to check a, a holy checkbox, you know, or, you know, I went to this huddle, and I got some cookies, and I heard some music, but I didn't leave changed. My prayer is that we would all leave changed, that God would do something fresh within us, and it would impact everything around us. So let me go ahead and pray, and I want you to pray with me, and let's ask God to do that as we get ready to read his word. Let's pray. Just join me in prayer right now and say, Lord, speak to me. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to listen. Teach me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 50. The text says that, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Let me go ahead and set the stage a little bit with some context as to why we landed on these scriptures for this sermon today and why I really believe that there's something in here for you. Uh, because when I think about Mary's story and the Christmas story, I'm, I'm prone to ask this question, why her? What was it about this young lady named Mary that grasped the attention of God himself and began to draw him to her? That God would pick her to spark Christmas. That God would say, I'm going to choose you, Mary, to give birth to the Savior of the world, to the one and only Son of God. Mary was somebody who was not necessarily popular in her town. She wasn't from a town that was known as a special place. In fact, R. Kent Hughes in his commentary says this. He says, from all indicators, her life would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly give birth to numerous poor children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, one day, like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. We meet Mary. Mary, many believe, was in her younger teenage years. Many scholars would say that she was right around 14 years of age, which means that she would be a part of our walk youth ministry, right? And God identifies her and says, you, 
I'm selecting you to accomplish one of the greatest tasks in the history of the world, if not the greatest task of giving birth to the Messiah. Daniel Darling, in his little book, The Characters of Christmas, and we have a few left at our merch table, says, As we celebrate Advent this season, and as we examine all the characters of Christmas, there is none so unlikely to be at the center of this divine story as Mary. Darling continues, and he says, Nobody knew Mary's name. Nobody but God, of course. I I love that right there. Because God knew her name. God knew her story, and God says, I'm going to use her to accomplish this task. Uh, if I were to subtitle this sermon with an with actual phrase, I would steal this title from a movie that came out several years ago. There's something about Mary. <laughs> I'm not saying that you should go see this movie. In fact, I would exchange seeing this one for maybe Home Alone, okay? It's the Christmas time, and there's better stories out there. Um, however... The phrase, there's, there's something about Mary here that God says, that's her. And I want to ask that question to this text here today. I want to ask this question, what is it? What is it? Because whatever it is, maybe we can get a little bit of that. What is it about Mary that maybe we can say, okay, that thing I want, to, I want to start to implement in my life because obviously that's something that grabs the heart of God. That moves God into action. So we begin here in verse 46. This is Mary's song. Mary was a worshiper. She was a worship artist. She wrote a, a, a song, the Magnificent of Mary, right? We see it here on display. Mary is dialoguing with Elizabeth her cousin, and they're talking about these revelation stories of how the Lord worked in her life and Elizabeth's life. And Mary says, this is all so much, I'm about to write a song. She pulls out her pen and a pad, or her scroll and a, and, and a feather, a tablet. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. I'm, I'm challenged by the first lyric of Mary's song. Is my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, my soul means my everything. I want to just remind you that, that we are spirit, body, and soul. Uh, our body, our skin, our flesh is really just the outward shell. It's going to fade away. It's corrupt. It's, it's eroding. It's, it's not going to stand the test of time. All the older people in the room are like, amen to that. Yep, I've seen that to be true, right? Every day we grow a little bit older. But our soul lives forever. Our soul remains. And Mary says, my soul, my inward being, all of me magnifies the Lord. I was moved by that because I, I, I thought that Mary, you know, she could use several different words, amen? She could say, my soul worships the Lord. She could say, my soul sings to the Lord. My soul praises the Lord. But here she uses a word, a new word. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I looked up this word magnify because I wanted to make sure I understood what she meant by that. There's two definitions for the word Magnify. We'll put them up on the screen. The first definition, it's a verb. It means to extol. 
Now, I didn't know what that word meant either, so I looked up that, mean, that means to praise highly. The word extol by definition means to, to high, high praise. A strong, next level praise, colon, to glorify, right? To give God the glory that he deserves, that God is set apart. My soul magnifies the Lord. It means to glorify and to give a high praise. Now, the second definition, part B of that definition is to enlarge, in fact, or in appearance. It's a word that you would use to study something, to examine something to put something under the microscope to try to understand the fullness of it. I love what Mary says here. She says, I'm pulling out my microscope, my magnifying glass, and I'm going to put it on God. Now, technically, it probably wouldn't have been a, a magnifying glass. It probably would have been a telescope, right? I mean, to, to study the bigness of God and the goodness of God. But Mary here says, look, I want to magnify God. This Christmas season, I want to get to know God. Mary says, this Christmas season, I'm about to give birth to my Lord. I want to know him. I want to study him. She says, my soul, everything in me makes God big. I want to know all the nuances of God. I want to know the character of God of God. I want to know the heart of God. I want to know the word of God. I want to feel the spirit of God. I want to experience the joy of God. I want to make God big in my life, not just a little part of my life. I, I don't want God to just have a Sunday thing in my life. I want to magnify God with all of my life, right? Mary says, I want to, I want to be consumed by my faith. I want my faith to to be who I am. My soul magnifies the Lord. Let me ask you a question, and it may come with a little bit of a challenge, but this Christmas season, what are you magnifying? What, what is your soul magnifying? I'm telling you what, you probably got a lot of stuff going on in your life. You probably have even some things that could create stress or anxiety. I'm gonna guess just let me do it. Give me some freedom here. That it's not more than Mary had. All right, right? Like, in a single moment, Mary's life changed forever. The angel Gabriel appeared. Mary, God has selected you to be the favored one who would give birth to the Messiah that you've been reading about all your life. You know the Messiah that has been talked about from Genesis, who's going to crush the serpent's head, the one that's going to continue to have the nations as his inheritance that was promised to Abraham, the one who is here and is to come, the one from Isaiah, right, who would, who would grow up and have no appearance of attractive about him but would be crushed for our iniquities. You know that Messiah? You're going to give birth to him. That's, that, that, that's Mary's story. And, and Mary... Right, Being a righteous young lady says, how can this be because I'm not married? She didn't say, how could this be because God can't do it? She said, I just want to be clear. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't crossed that line. I'm not married. And Angel Gabriel gave her the instruction on what's going to happen, but I love Mary's response. Let it be. She said, not my will, but yours be done because your will is better than mine. Now, Mary, at this moment had to have a lot of other things she could be magnifying. She could be magnifying like, all right, 
how do I give birth to a baby? She could be magnifying, what does that first month look like? She could be magnifying breastfeedingmoms.com. She could be, you know, like, I don't know. She could be magnifying, how is this thing going to work? She could be magnifying, what's my fiance going to think? She could be magnifying, what's my friends going to think? What's my mom going to think? She says, what is God going to think? I want to get to know what God thinks about this. My, my soul magnifies the Lord. And I love how Mary had good theology because she there says, he's the Lord. He's not just my leader, he's my Lord. He's not just my friend, he's my Lord. The word Lord means master, boss, king of kings. The word Lord means everything that, that she surrendered to the Lord. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Verse 47 picks it up and says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That not only does she magnify God, but she says, my spirit is excited. The word rejoice means to become joyful. The word rejoice means to celebrate someone or something with joy. She says, my spirit is not sad. My spirit is not depressed. My spirit is not even scared. My spirit is rejoicing. Why? Because she's rejoicing in God. If we can magnify God enough this Christmas season, what will happen is your joy will follow. If you can just begin to magnify God, your joy will catch up. When you magnify the things of this world, your joy will leave. When you magnify the presence and what everybody else is doing and cookies and the mall... And all these things that I love about Christmas, I'm not saying they're bad things. I'm just saying don't magnify them. Those weren't supposed to be the center of attention and have Jesus in the background like, what about me? It's Christmas. This is his season. This is his life. And so what she says is the more I magnify God, the more my spirit rejoices and the more I find out I need a savior. The closer you get to God, the more rightly you see yourself. Like, man, God is holy. I'm not. God is righteous. I'm not. God is good. I'm not. God doesn't need to be a savior, need, need a savior. I need a savior, and I can have one. I'm rejoicing in that. I want to encourage you this Christmas season on December 15th to find your joy in your Savior. That, that Jesus has enough joy in his bag to give to your heart if you would spend more time magnifying him, getting to know him. Get your glass out. Put it on the Christmas story and read that thing. Start in Matthew and read it. Then go to Luke and read it. And then go listen to Pastor Mike's sermon again. Again. And, and find your joy again in the Savior. I feel like we, we struggle with joy in our culture, and I know this by experience, because we magnify and rejoice in too many things that were never meant to fulfill us. So we have these functional saviors that can't get the job done because functional saviors can't function as the savior. They, they, they fall short of what it means to be the savior. So if you're looking for sports to save you, your spirit will have a lacking of joy. 
Because someday your team will lose and then you'll feel defeated. Right? Or, or if you're finding your joy, if you're rejoicing in your partner, your spouse, at some point your spouse or partner will fail you. And then your joy will be gone. But they were never meant to fulfill you. Right? If your joy is found in food, you will get hungry again. And then your joy will be gone. If your joy is found in the weather, it will get cold again or hot again. And it will be gone. But if your joy is found in God, he's here. She says, look, this is a good bet. This seems to be wise. I'm going to rejoice in God because he's got me. Because he's got enough to complete me and satisfy me. My rejoicing is in him, not in the things of this world, because these things of the world just seem to keep letting me down. Even things that are good will let you down. They're not supposed to function as Savior. But when you can say, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, I think you'll find your joy there. C.S. Lewis says it like this, and Lewis was a profound scholar and atheist for majority of his life until he says it like this, I came to the conclusion that God was God. And everything changed. He wrote a book called Mere Christianity. He also co-authored in the Narnia series and is one of the most profound writers of all our time. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go out making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis is saying, hey, look, we're just too easily pleased. Like we're over here playing in the mud. Like this is so great. And And God's like, if you just turn around, you'll see an ocean. It gets better than that. Like, I made that, but I got more for you. And we're just like, I don't know, but I just kind of like in the mud. God's like, man, you're too easily pleased. I got more joy for you. That life isn't just about fooling about with drink and sex and ambition and sports and all the things that this world tries to cloud our attention with. Go through your timeline. You'll see the same stuff tomorrow. Same news articles tomorrow. Watch SportsCenter another whole round again. Like, we're far too easily distracted. And please, when God is saying, you know that there's joy levels you ain't even hit yet. I would love to walk you there. I'll hold your hand there. But you got to rejoice in me to get there. Not in the stuff, but in the Savior. Now, some of us don't understand what I'm talking about right now. And I just want to make a a clear point here. The reason why you don't understand what I'm talking about is because you don't know God as Savior. And you'll never be able to appreciate the goodness of God until you understand the badness of you. <laughs> right? There's, there's, a, there's somebody, and I know I'm going to step on some toes just briefly. I don't want to, like, stomp on them. I just want to step on them and let God do the rest. Some people in here are still under the impression that you're a good person. You're not. Like t- today, if someone said, hey, are you a good person? You would say, yeah, I'm a good person. You're not. The, the Bible would tell you you're not a good person. There's only ever been one good person. And he was born of a virgin, and he was nailed to a tree, 
and he rose from the grave, and he's coming back again. He's the only good person. All of us are not good. And you would say, prove it to me. And I would just say to you, would you be cool if we just took your thoughts from yesterday and broadcasted them on the screen? Can we do that? Can we just watch? You would run out of here quick. You're not a good person. We're not good people. But there is a good God who says, I can make you good, and I'd be delighted to save you. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says it like this. For all, everybody say all. That means us. Turn to the person next to you and say, this is for you. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. We have fallen short. The glory of God was right here. We just didn't reach it. We gave away God's glory to someone or something else. Therefore, we have sinned. Now, you may be under the impression that what's so bad about that? Well, it's not up to you to set the standard. It's God's standard, right? God says, hey, listen, I know it may not be much to you, but I'm the one who created you. It means a lot to me. Well, how much does it mean to you, God? Well, turn with me to Romans 6, 23. The text says that not only have all people sinned, but the wages of sin is, say this word maybe, death. death. Wow. That is extreme. We believe in an extreme God. He's extremely righteous and holy and good. All of us have missed his mark. And the wages of our sin is death. So I just want you to imagine for our working people in the room, when it's payday and you get like this envelope, you're like, ooh, I got paid today. Let me see what I earned. And it says death. <laughs> you're like, hold up, this is wrong. God is saying, yeah, I've, I've mailed you your payment. You have earned death. The wages, you, got, you earned some wages. It's death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. You will spend eternity away from God in hell apart from a saving relationship with Jesus. That, that, that's the reality. That's why Christmas exists. So that doesn't have to be your testimony. That your testimony wouldn't be, I rejected God, rejected God, rejected God until I got what I wanted. No God. The, the definition of hell is that eternity without God. Don't magnify the fire. Magnify the, the part that you're not going to be with God. That, that's scary. But. Come on, everybody say but. Come on, one more time, say but. But the free gift of God is Christmas. The free gift of God is eternal life. We just talked about eternal death. The free gift of God is eternal life. This takes the place of this in Christ Jesus our Lord, Mary. Mary says, I'm going to rejoice in that. <laughs> like, well, we have, I don't even have to, I haven't even given birth yet, but I'm already rejoicing. In God, my Savior. Mary recognized, she got to the place, hurry up and get there already, that God has provided a Savior in his son Jesus. And so don't dabble around thinking, I don't know. Yeah, I know, I just, like, just get there. I'm, I love you enough to tell you to, to get to the place where you're able to recognize I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and he's here. 
and his name is Jesus. You know the name Jesus, Yahshua, means Savior. God who saves. Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is Jesus' title. Jesus Christ, in the, in the actual language, the Savior called Messiah. That's what Yeshua Hamashiach means. Right? A little Hebrew, a little, a little Hamashiach. Amen. So let's continue reading through our text. We, we need a savior. You can rejoice in it. Romans chapter 5. I love this. Romans chapter 5. I've been memorizing this verse. It says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through who our Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul, the apostle, is saying, look, you, you can rejoice in God. Why? Because through him, you can be reconciled. You, need to, you don't need reconciliation if you're right. You don't need reconciliation if everything's good between you and God. But it's not. Like, I'm here to tell you, like, you have a wage on your life that's called death unless you get that thing reconciled. You can't reconcile it. I can't reconcile it. A spouse can't reconcile it. A GPA of a 4.0 can't reconcile it. Christ can and then when you figure that out, oh, man, this is going to help somebody. You can rejoice. You can rejoice in Christ as the reconciler and the Savior. Verse 48 continues, right? Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary says that the Lord and Savior, God, has looked upon her humble estate. As I was studying for this sermon, I had this visual image in my mind. I had this visual of Mary with her magnifying glass, pointing it up to God, studying the character of God, looking into the character of God, getting to know all the different ins and outs of God, getting to know God and magnifying his personality in all of him. And I had this visual of God with the same glass on her. That he... While I was looking up, he was looking at me. That he looked on the humble estate of his servant. When God magnified Mary, he found humility. I would be willing to say today that what was the thing about Mary? It was that she was a humble woman of God. She demonstrated some contagious humility. That she said, he has looked on the humble estate of... Mary doesn't refer to herself as the virgin Mary. She says, I'm a servant. Stop praying to me. I can't help you. It's not hail Mary, it's hail Jesus. It's not, right? Like I'm, I know this is controversial stuff, but let's just be clear here. Mary is a young lady who had a spirit of humility, who was chosen to do the greatest task known of mankind and she says i'm acknowledging i'm a servant we can learn from our sister here she says he has looked on the humble estate of his servant i want i want you to know that god does this not just for mary but for you too that while we're magnifying the lord i think it'd be right right to do that he's magnifying you and when God takes the magnifying glass and puts it on your heart, what will he find is the question. 
We see this on, the, on display in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Right? God appointed a king named Saul, but Saul was prideful. He didn't finish the task, so God said, I'll choose somebody else. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Amen? Amen. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. God's like, I'm seeing past the shirt. I'm seeing past the outward appearance. I know that we can only see limited things, but God sees limitless things. He sees the heart. When God magnifies your soul, what will he find? Right? He sees this. He's looking. Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. Right? God is, he's doing a search. What's he looking for in your heart? Are you humble? Do you love God? Do you want to know him more than anyone and anything else? He says, I test the mind. God is, God will put your mind to the test. Some of you are like, why did I come to church today? (laughs) This is the best thing for you. Because if you can figure this out, your joy levels will rise. Your life will have meaning to it. People will talk about you for the rest of your life in a way that that person knew God. The The Lord searches the heart. He tests the mind to reward a man according to his way by what his deeds deserve. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a man's ways are pure in his own eyes, but his motives are weighed by the Lord. How about this? That God weighs our motives. Like today, maybe your motive to come to church was to meet somebody. And I hope you meet them. But make sure you meet with God first. <laughs> maybe your motive in, in tithing is like, you know, man, I just do this because I have to. Well, God would even say, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not looking for that. Or your motive in serving is because I want, I want people to see me serve. God's saying, hey, look, I'm not really impressed with actions. If that was the case, I would hang out with the Pharisees. They had their whole checklist down. God's like, I'm not really impressed because your motives are wrong. You pray in the front because you want people to see you. I'm not impressed with that. God's saying, I look at your heart, I look at your motive, I search your mind, I'm looking for humility. God sees humility. Hear me, church. God God sees humility. Now, maybe you're not familiar with this word. I'll give you a definition to quote from C.S. Lewis once again. He says it like this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. A really humble man will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. A a truly humble person is not consumed with themselves. The the phrase narcissist is removed from their vocabulary. They are focused on God and people. That true humility says, look, I don't need the credit. I don't need the mention. I don't need the likes. I don't need the retweets or the shares. I'm here for him. I'm here for him. It's because my soul magnifies the Lord, not other people's opinions. I promise you, if you start magnifying other people's opinions, if you start magnifying other people's comments on your social media, if you start magnifying all the things of this, if you start magnifying that door that just you're going to miss it, all right? Focus in on him, right? Says humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not this, oh, woe is me mentality. Oh, man, dang, man, woe is me. Oh, 
It's like, no, I'm, I moved past myself a long time ago. I, I sometimes hear this, man, you know, I'm just in this season. I'm just loving myself. I'm like, well, I, I, why? Why? Doesn't the scripture say deny yourself? So you're basically just saying, I'm just in this season. I'm prideful. That's what you're saying, right? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's, it's thinking of yourself less. Philippians 2, humility. Right? Mike preached on these verses last week, a fantastic sermon. Right before the verses that you hit, though, Paul says it like this in verse 3. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, ouch, or vain conceit, which means to be conceited is in vain. Rather, I'll give you a better way, in humility, value others above yourself. Can y'all just say these four words with me? Ready? One, two, three. Value others above yourselves. Rewind. Value others above yourself. One more time. Value others above yourselves. Wow. Church, if we can get a hold of these four words. Let, Let me give you this phrase. Valued people value people. When you start valuing people, people start feeling valued and they start valuing people. That's just what happens. That's how the kingdom works. That free people, free people. Loved people, love people. Hurt people, hurt people. Valued people, value people. In humility, let's start giving people dignity and value above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Challenging. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus had. What was the mindset Christ had? The mindset that you preached about last week? I'm going to humble myself to become a baby, to serve, even to the point of death. This is real Christianity. It's humility. James chapter 4 verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do you want the Lord to exalt you? It's not, a, it's not necessarily a bad desire. I want the Lord to exalt me, but not for my glory. And, I, and, and here's what I'll say. The Lord's not going to exalt you until he knows that you'll give him the credit. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' fame. It should be the cry of our hearts. Proverbs 29 verse 23 says, A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. That we're honoring Mary today because of her humble spirit and her sacrifice. Proverbs 3 verse 34 says, He mocks the mockers, but gives grace to the humble. That God has grace stored up for those who walk in humility. Psalm 138 verse 6, Though the Lord is on high, he attends to the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. When I look at the, li- the, the seasons of life where I felt most distant from God, it's because I was most prideful in those seasons. If you sense you're distant from God, ask yourself, am I being prideful? What am I magnifying? Am I walking in humility? Am I valuing God? Am I valuing people? Because the Lord is on high. He attends the lowly, but the proud, y'all got it. Go ahead and do it yourself. The definition of pride is says, I just don't need God. I can do this myself. I don't need church. I don't need you. I don't need your help. I don't need God. I don't need any of this. 
God says, okay, go ahead and do your thing then. Do your thing then. And see how far it gets you. But Mary said, I need God. I magnify God. I rejoice in God. And then he looked on me, a servant, and showed me grace. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, all of you. Come on, everybody say all of you. All of you. This is for all of us. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Church, let's get this verse. Like, like open up your heart, grab this verse, and stuff it in, all right? And clothe yourself with, with humility toward one another. How can I serve you? How can I honor you? How can I bless you? How can I help you? And then do it. And if you can't do it, say, I can't do it. And if you make a commitment to do it and you don't do it, then apologize and say, yeah, I'm sorry I didn't do it. But walk in humility, amen? amen? This was the thing about Mary that got God's attention. God opposes the proud. This word oppose, some translations say resists. But they gave away the college Heisman trophy last night. It looks kind of like this. Whenever we're prideful, that's what God does to us. If you try to approach God with pride, he just... I oppose you. I'm not making this up. But when we approach God with humility, God says, ooh, let me give you grace. Just sow grace into your life. And when God does that, you know what we do? We rejoice. We rejoice in God our Savior. Zig Ziglar, the famous leadership guru out of Dallas, Texas, says, humility will open more doors than arrogance ever will. Know that. Hear that. Believe that. Receive that. Embrace that. If you're waiting for the right door to be opened, just know humility is going to get it there. Arrogance will close them. Humility that says, I can't, God can. I trust you, Lord. I'm going to love you and I'm going to love people. Doors will start opening. This text closes. We're, we're just about done. 48 says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary says, when you think about me and my story, you're going to say blessed. Hashtag blessed. Mary equals blessed. But here's what I want to redefine for you today. I want to redefine the definition for blessed because I looked up the original uh, Greek word for this word blessed, and it really moved me. It's the Greek word markerizo. Let me give you a definition. One definition is held in reverence and honored, and we should revere and honor Mary for her sacrifice, for her life, for her story, as the mother of our Lord and Savior. But really what I believe she was saying was not, for the rest of my life, everybody's going to honor me. But she's saying, people are going to know that I'm happy. She says, the, the, the Lord looked on the humble estate of his servant, and from now on, generations are going to say, that girl happy. That girl is just blessed, man. The word blessed, by definition, Marcarizo, I looked up the actual word that Mary used there. Not how we receive it, but what did she say there? She said, from now on, all the generations will say she's happy. That's what she, reg- that's what she said. This is the joy of Christmas. It's saying, I'm going to have a humble posture before God and for people and then people are going to say man what's different about you say man I'm no 
been prideful all my life. They didn't get me anywhere. I want to have a humble spirit. Gets God's attention. Verse 49 says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Can I just give you a reality statement, a take-home statement? If you, if you forget everything else, just remember this statement. Right? He who is mighty has done great things. God does great things for humble people. Right? If we look at this verse or the, the, the statement, God does great things for humble people. Come on, say it with me. God does great things for humble people. God does great things for humble people. He does. God does great things for humble people. Mary says, he who is mighty, the mighty God, the humble servant, he has done great things for me. Verse 50 closes. I'm going like this because I'm done. All right? I'm done. Verse 50 closes with this. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I close with this verse because I want to remind you this. This is a message for you too. In case you think, well, yeah, that's Mary's story. But what about me? From generation to generation, these principles are true. If you humble yourself, fear the Lord. The, the definition for fear the Lord means to take God serious. Just say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna, I believe it. I receive it. Jesus, change me, save me, live through me. If you have that same spirit, it's mercies for you today. Generation to generation. This is the joy of Christmas. Amen. God does great things for humble people. Let's pray.